0: Hear the word of God from the Old Testament, Deuteronomy chapter 10, starting with verse 14. To the Lord your God belong the heavens, even the highest heavens, the earth and everything in it. Yet the Lord set his affection on your ancestors and loved them, and he chose you, their descendants, above all the nations, as it is today. Circumcise your hearts, therefore, and do not be stiff-necked any longer. For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great God, mighty and awesome, who shows no partiality and accepts no bribes. He defends the cause of the fatherless and the widow and loves the foreigner residing among you, giving them food and clothing. And you are to love those who are foreigners, for you yourselves were foreigners in Egypt. And now to the New Testament. The letter of James, chapter one, verse 27. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this. To look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Well, good morning, Waypoint Church. My name is Peter. I have the joy of serving as one of the pastors here at Waypoint. And Several weeks ago, we were sitting in Lawrence's office. Lawrence is at the whiteboard, and we're planning our current sermon series. He asked, what are some distinctives of Waypoint Church? One of the first things we put on the whiteboard was kingdom focus. And so a few weeks ago, Lawrence preached on Waypoint's vision from day one that we would be a church that is a preview of the coming kingdom and serves to advance that kingdom here on earth. And then a couple weeks ago, Danny preached on loving God with all our heart, soul, mind and strength, emphasizing that our core value of worship extends beyond what we do here on Sunday mornings, but reaches into every aspect of our lives and our being. And then last week, Ben did an awesome job describing for us gospel community. Our core value that God's design is that we are not meant to live the Christian life alone. We need each other. And then there were a lot of things we put on the whiteboard that day. Things, pieces of our vision and values. But as someone who's relatively new to Waypoint... I said, you know what stands out to me and honestly uh, is part of the reason I joined the staff team here at Waypoint. It's part of the reason I came on as a church planning resident with the eventual goal of planning a church with a similar DNA as Waypoint. I said, it stands out to me that Waypoint is a church that loves people on the margins of society. And Lawrence said, You should preach on that. (laughs) And so I'm excited to open God's word with you this morning and explore this topic of loving people on the margins. But I'll admit that I'm somewhat intimidated by this topic. I'm not an expert on it. And most days I fumble through it. But I'm passionate about it because I believe God is passionate about it. James 1.27 begins, Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this. These are bold words. Whatever follows that colon bears a lot of weight. But before we get there, let's make sure we understand what James is talking about. It's interesting that he uses the word religion here. For many of us, when we hear that word, we have negative connotations. In fact, many years ago, it became a popular phrase in Christian circles that following Jesus is not about a religion, but it's about a relationship. relationship. And you know what? There's a lot of truth to that statement. But it's a reaction to people who call themselves religious. But what they mean by that is they go to church. They read their Bible from time to time, and maybe they ascribe to some moral set of standards. But their idea of religion is that it's more of an affiliation with Jesus, rather than a transformation by Jesus. And James is concerned with this very same problem. Right before this, in verse 26, he said, Those who consider themselves religious and do not keep a tight rein on their tongues, deceive themselves, and their religion is worthless. In other words, empty religion is claiming faith in Christ, but not allowing him to reorder every area of our lives. The way we think, the things we value, the way we talk, the way we act. And this is the message of the book of James. That the gospel would not be a set of beliefs that we simply ascribe to, but it would be something that transforms and reorders our lives. He wants us to be whole people whose outward lives are consistent with our inner lives. So when James says religion in verse 27, he's pointing us to a kind of life that isn't empty. It's weighty. It's pure and faultless. It's accepted by God our Father. It's the real deal. Now, I know that I've only been here at Waypoint for a few months now. But something you should know about me is that I'm from Maryland. And we Marylanders, we like our blue crabs. Um, It's kind of a thing. It borders on idolatry, but that's a sermon for another day. (laughs) So I love a good Maryland crab cake, but the thing is, I will not, I repeat, I will not order a Maryland crab cake anywhere outside of Maryland. It's not the real deal. They'll add stuff to it, they'll mix it too much, they'll cook it wrong, they'll put sauce on it. It's not the pure, unadulterated crab cakes that we make in Maryland. I only want the real deal. So box over. The message here in the book of James is that God our Father only wants the real deal religion. And so what is the real deal? To look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world to sacrificially love those on the margins of society, orphans and widows. All throughout Scripture, these are paired together as a representative group of the most vulnerable of society, the fatherless and the husbandless, the poor and incarcerated, the refugee and the foreigner, the single mother and the one without housing, those plagued with mental and physical illness and those isolated by disability. The list goes on, but James says this. This is the real deal religion. To step into, to step toward, to look after, to care for, to take responsibility for and sacrificially love the most vulnerable of society. And the question I want us to consider is, why does James point us to this, this action, namely caring for the vulnerable of society as the distinctive of who we are as followers of Jesus? I think the first reason is that it's a distinctive of who we are because it's a distinctive of who God is. We don't have time this morning to walk through all of scripture the times where we see the orphan and the widow and God's heart for them but just a couple of examples in Deuteronomy 10 the passage Dan read for us a moment ago it says he defends the cause of the fatherless and the widow speaking of God himself and, and did you hear how that passage started started he's the god of all the heavens The highest heavens. It's the song of praise and it moves to. And yet he set his affection on you and he chose you. And then we're pointed to the character of who God is. He defends the cause of the fatherless and the widow. And he loves the foreigner residing among you. Giving them food and clothing. In Psalm 68 verse 5 it says he is a father to the fatherless a defender of widows is God in his holy dwelling. Notice this is the psalmist is equating this is who God is. He is a father to the fatherless. He's a defender of the widows. Loving people on the margin is it something that God does in his spare time? It's at the core of who He is. So it's a distinctive of who we are as Waypoint Church because it's a distinctive of who God is. And not only that, but it's a distinctive of who we are because it's what Christ has done for us. This is the gospel message that we believe as a church we are the ones who needed mercy, and Christ pursued us. That passage in Deuteronomy we just referenced in chapter 10, the end of that says that you were foreigners in Egypt, and so love the foreigner. That's a phrase that gets repeated all throughout the prophets in the Old Testament. It is a phrase that says, because you have received mercy, it becomes part of who you are. You are the one who has been rescued. And so we take the calling and really the the posture of since we have received mercy, so we will be the ones who show mercy. Mercy. The Gospel of Luke is a great example of pointing us to the way that Jesus does this for us. All throughout the Gospel of Luke, we see Jesus pursuing those on the margins of society. And I think as Luke records the Gospel, he's trying to highlight for us that this is who Jesus is. In chapter 1, in Mary's song, as she gives praise to God, as God is going to come to earth through her. She says, my soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. And, and toward the end of the song, he, she says, he has filled the hungry with good things and has sent the rich away empty. God's heart is for the oppressed. God's heart is for those on the margins. It's a distinctive of who we are because it's a distinctive of what Christ has done for us. He enters into our world and He Zechariah gives praise to God in, in chapter 1, verse 68. He says, praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to his people. This word, he has come to his people, you know, what it's the same phrase as what James tells us to do with orphans and widows. Some translations say it's to visit. Some say to care for. When you see that range of meaning across translations, you can know that this means something more here. It means to step into, to step toward, to be involved with, to take responsibility for. It's to be what Jesus did for us. He who considered, he who was equal with God but considered himself nothing, taking the very form of a servant. He stepped into our world. And Zechariah says he has come to visit, to to be with his people. In chapter 2 of Luke, Jesus is born. And who is the first person, the first group of people that gets an invitation to his baby shower? A group of shepherds residing in the field on the margins of society. And the angels say to them, what do they say? Do not be afraid because I bring you good news that will be for who? All people. Even those, especially those on the margins of society. In chapter 4 of the Gospel of Luke, Jesus stands before the temple and he reads those words from Isaiah. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the rich. No. To proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind." to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. This is a distinctive of who we are as Waypoint Church because it's a distinctive of what Christ has done for us. In chapter 5, Jesus pursues a man with leprosy and he heals him very next passage, there's a paralyzed man off on the edges of society. Jesus pursues him and he heals him. In chapter 7, Jesus welcomes a prostitute at a dinner party for a Pharisee. And he says this, he who loves little Has been forgiven little. He who loves much has been forgiven much. It's a distinctive of who we are, because it's a distinctive of what Christ has done for us. In Luke chapter 8, Jesus is on his way to Jairus' house. Now, Jairus was an important guy in the synagogue, a leader in the synagogue. And he's on his way. Crowds are pressing around Jesus. And Jairus' daughter is sick. It's urgent. The messengers have said, it, it, time is ticking. And Jesus stops. And he says, someone touched me. The disciples' reaction is, Jesus. Someone touched you. Everyone is touching you. They're all pressing in around you. But Jesus distinguishes the touch of someone from the touch of everyone. And it's a woman with a bleeding disorder who has been on the edges of society for all of her life. And Jesus says, Daughter, not sister, not woman, daughter, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. You see, this is a distinctive of who we are because it's a distinctive of what Christ has done for us. And so when James points us here in James chapter 1, verse 27, that the real deal religion is to care for, to visit, to look after, to step Into and step toward the orphan and the widow. He's not just giving us a provocative picture of good works. He's giving us a picture of the gospel. He's giving us a picture of what Christ has done for us. And so it becomes a distinctive of who we are as a church because it's a distinctive of what God has done for us. Us, And so the concern of the book of James is that we wouldn't separate faith from works, but that we would be a whole person that is transformed from the inside out by the good news of the gospel. That we were the poor and needy. We were captive to our sin. And Christ stepped into that. He identified with us. And he redeemed us. So what are we supposed to do with this? What do we do with James' words here where he says the real deal religion, colon, is this? To care for the widow and orphan in their distress. And to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. I want to give... Just a couple of ideas. I want to give them in the form of a question. The first is, what's our posture? What's our posture? I want to suggest that if this is a distinctive of who God is, and if it is a distinctive of what Christ has done for us in the gospel... Then, our posture toward the world around us is to have eyes that are open and seeking those who are on the margins of society. We want to have a posture of having open eyes that are seeking to and fro in society, that it's not just when we stumble upon the orphan and the widow, the refugee and the foreigner, the single mother and the prisoner. It's that we are looking for them like Jesus was looking for us. It says when Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. And I want you to see yourself in the crowd that Jesus sees, that you were helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. And Jesus stepped into that, and he set his love upon you and showed mercy to you. And so it becomes a distinctive of us that we will look at the crowds and see them. We will look to the margins of society. We will look to the foster care system. We will look to those who are incarcerated. We will look to the single mother. We will look to the refugee, and we will say, Jesus set his love upon us. And so I am going to step into this messiness. I'm going to step into your world in your affliction to care for them in their distress and so we have a posture of eyes that are open and palms that are open this is continually throughout my spiritual journey been a posture that i am trying to cultivate is 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 a posture of lord i want to have open palms for to whatever you want to put in front of me. I want to be ready to receive. In a moment, we're going to come to the Lord's table and celebrate communion together. And one of the reasons we do communion, there's a lot of ways we could serve communion, but one of the beauties of the way um, that we do this as a church is that we come to receive the elements. We come forward and we, we hold out our hands and it's the posture of, I need the mercy of Jesus. And so as we receive mercy, we go out from this place with that very same posture. Lord, I've received that mercy. How can I be your hands and feet to the world around me? So what's our posture? I want to give a word of caution. When we talk about this, in the church, it's easy to, to feel like this is another checklist item. Okay, I feel like, okay, this week I got to add this to the list of things that I need to do as a Christian to care for the orphan and the widow. But I don't want it to, to be another item on our checklist. I want this to be a part of who, a distinctive of who we are, just as it is a distinctive of who God is, that it might effortlessly flow through us to pursue those on the margins of society. The word of caution I want to give here is that each of us are in different seasons of life. And it's easy to compare. And to to say, oh, that's how that person is caring for the orphan and widow. And so I, I feel guilty because I'm not doing that. But what I want you to have is this posture of, God, here is who I am. Here is my life. Here are the people you've put in front of me, the spheres I walk in. And sometimes the Lord needs to push us outside of our comfort zone. But I want us to have this posture of, God, I'm not called... To be somebody else. I'm called to run the race that you've marked out for me. And so what are the gifts, the capacities, the experiences. And even the risks that you are calling me to make in this area. And so as we have this posture of open eyes and open palms. We don't take the posture of a rescuer. That's Jesus. We take the posture of those who have been rescued. second question I want us to ask this morning is, what are our priorities? One of the biggest things that I think keep us from the real-deal religion that James talks about is our priorities. And let's face it, living in America, it's, it's easy to prioritize my comfort and security. Three years ago, Mary and I started asking the question of, should we step into foster care? And at that moment, the answer was no. We, this had been a long journey for us. We had we'd been married for about 12 years and our first year of marriage, we started the price process to get licensed as foster parents. And It was something that partially reading this verse in James and seeing the heart of Jesus, we wanted to respond by becoming foster parents. But as we walked through the foster care licensing process, we started to realize Mary was sick and she was in and out of the hospital from time to time and we realized this does not make sense for our life right now. And so we said you know what we're not going to be licensed right now so for the next 10 years of our marriage we we read James 1 27 this is the real deal religion to care for widows and orphans and we said you know what this is our calling to support our friends and family who are doing this on the front lines and so whatever opportunities we had we came alongside our brothers and sisters we didn't do it perfectly and Often, I think we miss seeing them. But we tried to be coming alongside them. Then four years ago, Mary starts kind of a groundbreaking medication and her health starts rebounding. We start having more capacity in our lives. We start asking this question again. Is this a space we're called to step into, foster care? And at that moment, about three years ago, our, our answer was no. And honestly, I think the Lord had to do some heart work in me. I had some idols of comfort and security that I had to lay down. And over the next couple of years, the Lord started to shift some of my thinking that, you know what? My ultimate priority in life is not to be comfortable. but it's to be a child of God and to respond to Him in what He has done for me. And so about two years ago, the question resurfaced, should we think about this? And we started the process, become licensed as foster parents. And at that time, we we thought, you know what? We don't have a ton of capacity. We've got a one-year-old and... We, we can't take any medical complexities with this. And then the Lord started to work in our hearts and say, you know what? We've given, the Lord said to me, Peter, I've given you and Mary a lifetime of experience with medical complexities. <laughs> this thing you're saying no to is actually the thing I've equipped you to do. So we went to the agency and said, we'd like to take a child with medical complexities. And this is our journey. And I wanna warn you, like this is not me saying, I've got this all figured out. This is me saying, I'm trying to figure this out. And I'm trying to follow James' words here that the real deal religion is to care for the orphan and widow. And not everyone here is called to be a foster parent or to be on the front lines of caring for the homeless and poor. But we are all called by by James to have a heart for these people and to as a body step into these spaces and care for those on the margins. And for some of you, what that looks like is what happened in the foyer this morning where someone took me aside and asked, how's it going? And they cared for me. And they cared about Mary and I and our journey of foster care. And kind of in a response to this sermon, in a, in a few weeks in October, we're going to host a foster care vision night. And I wonder if God might be stirring some in this congregation to be part of stepping into to caring for in the front lines of orphan care. But part of my vision for that night is that It wouldn't just be that, but there would be others who come into that space that night and say, how can we come alongside you as you care for the widow and the orphan? Next week, we're going to have a community group and outreach fair, and we're going to have opportunities that we can engage in caring for the refugee in our community. You can be part of a good neighbor team. The goal there is to care for the refugee. And to be a friend to them. And so I, it's my prayer that God might be stirring in us. That we, this might continually become distinctive of Waypoint Church. That we love those on the margins of society. And finally, the question I want to leave us with is what is our prayer? It's this, God, would you give us a heart for the vulnerable and to move me to join our body in caring for them in whatever way you desire. Jesus is inviting us to come to the table where he sacrificially gave his life for us. And he's inviting us into the beautiful possibility of sacrificially giving our lives For those on the margins of society. Notice I left off the last part of that verse in James 1. Keeping oneself from being polluted by the world. A lot of people see that as like a balance that you do here. You step into social justice, but be careful, don't become polluted by the world. I don't think that's what James is saying here. I think what he's saying is, be careful that you let the values of the world rub off on you. And that keeps you from caring for the widow and orphan in their distress. This is a distinctive of Waypoint Church because it's a distinctive of who God is and it's a distinctive of what God has done for us. So he may he make this a place where we love those on the margins of society. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that you have loved us and called us to love the orphan and the widow. Lord, there's so much I could have said this morning and so much I wanted to say. But, Lord, ultimately, I want us to see your heart. And may that transform us and move us into this world, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.
2: Amen. Thank you, Peter. And as we conclude this four-week sermon series uh, with taking the Lord's Supper, um, I want us to think about when Jesus says, you know, They ask him, they try to trick him, what's the greatest commandment? And he comes in and he says, love God with all your heart, mind, heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. There's no commandment greater than these. And we can come to this table as his people, saying, we're broken. We need, we, you can't go out and love others. You can't go out and serve others unless you are filled with his spirit. Unless you are resting in His grace and His mercy and His forgiveness, you can love others because you've been loved by God. You can forgive others because you've been forgiven. You can show mercy because God's shown mercy to you. And this table is a representation of that. We get to come often as His people together. So this morning, we join with our Christian sisters and brothers around the world in participation in what's called the Lord's Supper or Communion. This is a time when followers of Jesus come together and reflect and remember the death and suffering of Jesus Christ and the new covenant that we have in him. This morning during the prayer time, we, we asked God to search our hearts and we confessed our sin to God. And now at this time, I want you to accept his grace, accept his forgiveness. The best way I like to do this um, is just Exhale, and just exhale the junk, take a deep breath, and just accept his grace and his mercy and his forgiveness that he's given us. Like we need air to survive, we need his grace, his mercy, and his spirit to fill us. So we're remembering that this morning as we come, as forgiven people. You are forgiven because of what Jesus has done. Now let's remember the new covenant that Jesus has made with us. We're forgiven people. We're born again. We're new creations. We're people with a new hope and a future. People of the kingdom of Jesus. Paul says in 1 Corinthians, For I received from the Lord what I passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after the supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Whenever you drink it in remembrance of me, for whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he returns. So at Waypoint Church, we try to make communion where you come forward. And it's it's an act of worship. And we do something called intinction. So when you come forward, if you're new here, you'll you'll be handed a cracker. You'll take the cracker, lightly dip it in the juice. You can take it immediately or you can take it back to your seat and take some time to reflect. But any time you want to take it. Um, there'll be a station here, a station there. So you guys will go to this station. You all will come to this station. Same. And uh, this is for followers of Jesus. And this is the meal that he gave us to remember and to reflect on his death and and the new life and the new covenant that we have in him. So if I can have the servers and the band come forward.